Mortimer, Episode 12. Thank you for tuning into Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Mortimer is an entire novel that you may decide to read in print or digital form. Yet each episode of this audio podcast is broken up into a serial of sorts for your enjoyment. We hope you enjoy this duty-free audio presentation of Mortimer. Oh boy! This next section is buckets of fun. You just wait and smell. <laughs> After only six weeks aboard the Esquire, he quickly acquired his sea legs. The transition had come naturally, with none of the nausea or ailments experienced by those less suited for captain's work. Arms crossed at his chest, Mortimer stood at the helm of his ship and drew in a deep breath of clean, salty air. He surveyed his crew with appreciation as they worked. They moved with purpose, gesture deliberate and focus unassailable. The weather was fine, the sky was pure blue, and there was not a cloud as far as the eye could see. Mortimer was in his element, his utopia. He flipped open a bronze antique compass to check the trajectory, and then grasped the ship's wheel with a mighty hand. The correction was without flaw, and the vessel obediently angled slightly on its course. Then something changed. Mortimer's instincts told him what was wrong, even before the wind picked up. Poseidon was preparing his fury. "'All hands on deck!' Mortimer cried, stuffing the compass back into his meticulously clean lapel pocket. "'To the sails!' The storm materialized quickly out of nowhere. The waves stabbed up in choppy torrents and the sea foam burst all around. At the sound of a whistle, the water began to rise. The wheel at the helm started spinning, faster and then faster still. "'Maudie!' a voice could be heard through the thunder. "'It's Captain Mortimer to you!' The deck quaked and jerked. Mortimer's hands flailed as he was blinded by the ever-thickening torrents of rain. The wheel was nowhere to be found. Would her mistress meet her demise today? "'Wake up, Maudie!' "'No!' Mowdy, Mowdy, ain't a shorty, fat and firm, like a worm, eats until he's portly, Mortimer moaned. The bed shook violently as his cousin romped gleefully about on the end of the bed, singing the childish song from their youth. Mortimer's nightmares were coming true. Come on, Mowdy, wake up! I am being assaulted by a malignant beast! The storm, the sailors, the ship evaporated as consciousness prevailed. Good morning, boys. Mortimer allowed his right eye to peep open and saw Mrs. Peabody holding a silver tray. What are we having? Percy leapt up to peek beneath the silver lids. That's my breakfast! Outraged, Mortimer shot up in bed. There's plenty to share. It's so nice to have the family together again. Here you go, Percy. Mortimer glowered as the cook handed a bit of sausage to the scrawny barbarian. 
We get to have breakfast together, Percy informed Mortimer with a full mouth of sausage. To have only been slayed by Poseidon's trident. Mortimer wished he was back in his dream and drowning in the storm. You two have fifteen minutes to finish breakfast and then you're due in the library. But I have work to do. Mrs. Dixon has a series of lessons for the both of you today. I'm sure you will have a delightful time. Before she left, Mrs. Peabody glanced back and saw Percy greedily hawking down sausage after sausage, while Mortimer glowered at his cousin in uncensored disdain. Everything was set up perfectly. Mrs. Dixon put her hands on her hips and surveyed the room with pleasure. The library is one of the largest rooms in the house, and it offered plenty of space for her classes. It was cylindrically shaped, and rows of books stretched up four stories high. Natural skylights were cut into each story, as well as the ceiling above, filling the room with a wonderful glow of morning sunlight. Billy came into the room carrying a bag of ice. Neville followed behind, his arms heavy with fabric. "'What do you want me to do with this?' Millie huffed. "'Pour it in that bucket,' Mrs. Dixon indicated to the side. "'Neville, I have erected two changing stations over there. "'Hang the clothes in the appropriate room.' "'How will I know which room is the appropriate room?' "'Mortimer's clothes are ten times larger than Percy's. "'Put Mortimer's in the one on the right and Percy's in the room on the left. "'Fine.' Mrs. Peabody entered the library as Millie poured ice into the bucket. The boys are eating upstairs and will be downstairs in about ten minutes. Perfect. Mrs. Dixon all but rubbed her hands together. How is our Mortimer handling his cousin being here? Oh, they get along wonderfully. Percy quite looks up to his cousin. It's such a treasure to see. Then Mrs. Dixon's eyes drifted to something behind her friend. The blood drained from her face. What is it, Elizabeth? Mrs. Peabody turned in the direction Mrs. Dixon was looking and saw Bobby Sue standing in the doorway. She was wearing a baggy khaki pants and a flowing top. But what had rendered Mrs. Dixon speechless was the thing hanging from her right hand. Mrs. Peabody's hands flew to her mouth. Oh! But before Bobby Sue could reply, a rumbling sound of running feet thundered down the hall and toward the library. An Indian call echoed throughout the mansion walls. Percy shot past his mother and into the library. He jumped up onto the table in the centre of the room and beat his chest like a wild beast. I am Chocolate Thunder! Hear me roar! Boy, what's gotten into you? Jeb had joined his wife in the doorway. Sausage, par? No more sausage for that one, decided Mrs. Dixon. Uh, how old is he? Neville asked, intentionally ignoring the monstrosity in Bobby Sue's hand. Oh, almost nineteen or eighteen. I can't remember. Bobby Sue beamed at her son. You brought Ricky. Percy jumped down from the table. He grabbed the dead animal's head and nuzzled it affectionately. Hit it on the way up here. Jeb tucked his thumbs into the front of his pants. We thought we'd cook up some possum stew for y'all. Bobby Sue passed the heavy carcass to her husband. As a thank you for taking us in. Mrs. Dixon's brain short-circuited. Had that young man really nuzzled a dead possum? She glanced at Neville for assistance. <clears throat> Quite right, he cleared his throat. Well, you see, uh, Mrs. Peabody has already filled the entire icebox with food. We're quite set up, you see. Oh, we don't need to freeze it, 
Bobby Sue said with a wave. I'll cook him up straight away. Uh, we can eat him for lunch. We're gonna eat Ricky's organs. Percy grabbed the possum's feet and made them do a little dance. Walking across the street got you squeezed, young lucky critter. Neville, do something, hissed Mrs. Dixon. With a sigh, Neville stepped out from behind the women and reluctantly approached the Binkleys. Um, how about we just, um, just follow me? The Binkleys, with Ricky in tow, followed Neville out of the library, leaving Mrs. Peabody and Mrs. Dixon staring after in bafflement. I'm not cooking something she pulled off the side of the road. You know that, right? You are absolutely not going to cook a dead rodent. Are we the only civilized human beings within these walls? Oh, I'm beginning to wonder. Mrs. Peabody looked fearfully toward the doorway. Sometimes I really wonder. How do you do? Mrs. Dixon demonstrated from her position at the round table. It was typically used for studying and reading. However, today it had been transformed into a tea table fit for royalty. Complete with a fussy linen, woven lace topper, heirloom porcelain china, cookies and tea, Mrs. Dixon rather thought that the President himself would feel lucky to have tea at such a table. She was intent on creating a realistic experience. It didn't hurt either that she also felt she deserved a little bit of lavishness. No, Percy! She faced the young man whose hair was an unruly mess about his face. She would see to that next. It's your turn. I'm a cowboy! Percy leapt up from his chair and launched himself into the air and onto Mortimer's back. Get this repulsive ogre off me! Mortimer shot up from his chair and his knees knocked into the table and sent the tea set flying. Percy, stop it! Mrs. Dixon dodged the flying debris. Yee-haw! Percy waved his arm around like one might when riding a bucking bull. Neville, do something! Oh, what do you want me to do? I'll stop him! Millie ran to the other end of the room toward the buckets of ice. Immediately identifying the girl's plan, Mrs. Dixon's hand shot out. Millie, no! Get off of me this instant, you moronic gutter snipe! Giddy up! Yee-haw! Millie, stop! No! But Millie was deafened by her mission, and with a hefty thrust, she lunged forward, tossing the full bucket of ice water across the room and onto the two screaming pupils. Neville watched with disbelief and uncharacteristic humour as water and ice covered Percy, Mortimer, and the entire stack of books by their side. What, 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 what do you do that for? for? My God! Mortimer hyperextended violently as cold bits of ice dropped down into the crevices of his wardrobe. The sudden gesture shook Percy off Mortimer's back. He crumpled into a heap as he landed on the floor. That's so cold! Teach you to act like a moron! Mealy, we do not use the term moron. Mrs. Dixon surveyed the library with disapproval. Now, take those books outside and put them in the sun. I don't want to even think about the hundreds of dollars of damage you have just done. Quite proud of her moment of ingenuity, Millie went quickly to work, gathering the dripping books. Neville, come over here and help me with this table. Oh, if I must. Neville reluctantly set his newspaper aside. Several moments later, the table was righted. The few dishes that had survived the fall were back in their places. Soon, more tea was brewed, and two sopping wet and sulking pupils sat at the table with Mrs. Dixon. No, we start again. 
Mrs. Dixon picked up her cup and demonstrated. How do you do? Oh! If you do it correctly, you may have a cookie, Mrs. Dixon reminded Percy. If you do it incorrectly, you know the consequences. I'll show you again. She lifted her glass with two dainty fingers and nodded gently from Percy to Mortimer. How do you do? She took a sip. Percy lifted his cup by grasping between gangly fingers. How you doing? Percy gulped down his tea. Ah, it's hard I burn my tongue. No, 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 Mrs. Dixon slammed down her cup. How is not howdy, and ya is not a word. Moreover, you do not hold your tea with the palm. You hold it between these two fingers. Try it again, and if you do not get it right, into the ice bucket you go. But Mrs. Dixon, my tongue, Percy protested. He shot a desperate look over to his cousin, who sat to his left, arms crossed, with an amused expression across his face. Then do it properly. If you don't drink like a parched cow, you won't burn your tongue. Mortimer's bushy moustache twitched as he grinned back at his dubious cousin. This was turning out to be a surprisingly tolerable morning. Well, aside from being ridden like a bull and getting drenched with ice water. Mrs. Dixon lifted her teacup. How do you do? How do you do? Percy's fingers slipped and the porcelain cup went crashing to the floor. Millie, who had returned for another stack of books, came quickly to his feet to clean up the mess. Neville? The butler lowered his newspaper and looked up hopefully. Ice time? He was used to seeing Mrs. Dixon wield a particularly unpleasant punishment on ill-tempered youth. For, throughout the years, they had attempted a multitude of correctional methods with Mortimer, only to find that ice was the best motivator. She had employed the ice method on dozens of adolescents during her time as an unofficial behavioural consultant. Yes. No! Percy wailed. I'm already freezing. It's for your own good. What did I do? Percy went limp in Neville's arms as he dragged the boy toward the buckets. First of all, it is what did I do? Wad is not a word. Mrs. Dixon chided. Second of all, you threw an extremely expensive heirloom cup onto the ground and broke it. But Mortimer broke fifty cups earlier. Two, Mortimer corrected. Into the bucket. Neville propped Percy up next to the bucket of ice. But I don't want to. Cowardly peasant. Mrs. Dixon shot a look to her squire. You are next. Mortimer shrank back in his seat. One, two. Neville was counting. Stop. Mrs. Dixon interjected, much to Percy's relief. I will give you another chance. But if you do not behave, into the bucket you shall go. Yes, ma'am. Percy dashed back to his seat. Very good. Mrs. Dixon focused her attention on Mortimer now. Lift the cup with two fingers. Greet the people around you. How do you do? Mrs. Dixon demonstrated. Then put it to your lips and take a respectful sip. Mortimer guffawed condescendingly, then lifted the cup gingerly. It appeared diminutive within his massive grasp. To her mistress, said he, causing his nanny to raise her eyebrows in surprise. How do you do? He took a sip and set the cup down. 
The entire display had been executed with utter perfection. Millie's eyes widened. Where did he learn to do that? To her mistress? Mrs. Dixon narrowed her brows at Mortimer. With unassailable poise, unrivaled grace, with sedulity and perseverance does she sail through the open sea. Mortimer stood now, staring blindly into the recesses of his mind, deserving the unanimous agog of the citizens of the world wherever she goes, wherever she sails, trajectories abound, adventures limitless. This is not the time for homiletics. Hummy what? At Mrs. Dixon's distraction, Percy snatched a cookie from the dish on the table. Mrs. Dixon looked pointedly at Mortimer, her lips pursed. We are going to change trajectories. We will move on to the role-playing portion of the training. She closed her notebook. Neville, Millie, you may be excused. Thank God. Neville went back to his chair, picked up his newspaper and tucked it under his arm. Oh, what are you going to do now? Millie was quite effectively put out. She hadn't had this much fun in weeks, and now she was being sent away. That's for me to know. Mrs. Dixon stood up from the table and wiped off her already perfectly clean hands. But I promise you, the next time you see these two boys, they will be the most civilized, refined, and auspicious gentlemen you have ever laid eyes on. Leopold, there's a small compromise in the paint on the vanity in my room, announced Mrs. Longhorn. She took a dainty sip from her cup of tea and looked squarely down the table at her son. What will people say if they see such a disgraceful lack of attention to detail? I quite assure you, people do not often venture into the upstairs bedrooms. Mr. Longhorn turned the page in his newspaper. Even if they did, I would hardly expect anyone to notice. Mrs. Longhorn was indignant. Have you no pride for the Longhorn name, then? Dearest mother... Mr. Longhorn looked over the rim of his glasses. I have the highest respect for our name and the company. Details are key for running a successful business. However, I do not feel that a tiny scratch in an antique vanity in the upstairs bedroom calls into question my ability to run a business. Well, with an attitude like that, it's no wonder the bulbous ignoramus John Adams has outsold you these last twenty years. Mr. Longhorn took his glasses off and gave his mother his full attention. John Adams, you say? Yes, she puffed out her chest proudly. I met him myself. And when did you meet this gentleman? Yesterday. Hmm. I went by to see what kind of competition had rendered my late husband's company coming in second in shipping. Mr. Longhorn's eyes rolled up to stare at the ceiling. And I suppose that Mr. John Adams is the one who told you that he was running the company? Well, of course. Why wouldn't he admit to such an accomplishment? Because John Adams is not running the Centennial shipping line. If that idiot was managing that company, then the whole enterprise would have gone bankrupt ages ago. Then why would he have said that he was in charge? If the management was ironclad, how could he possibly get away with making such a claim? Her question was not entirely ridiculous. Mr. Longhorn paused to consider. What else did John Adams say to you? Well, he really tried the works. 
Mrs. Longhorn fluffed her hair, said I was quite fetching. He made a pass at you? Well, one can hardly blame him. Her smile was coy. But I haven't lost my zip, you know. Mr. Longhorn closed his newspaper forcefully. Tell me what Mr. Iscariot said to you. Having her son's attention, Mrs. Longhorn focused quite intently on her tea. I've a mind to go to the theatre. Hmm. Have you seen the latest play? Me Amore. It's purported to be the most ghastly romance. Mother, and a nice dinner would quite round out the evening. Maybe a ride through the park? Mr. Longhorn sighed. "'Roslyn will want to come, too, so you shall purchase three tickets. "'You want me to join you two ladies?' "'I'm starting to forget what it was that dear John even said to me.' "'Fine. Three tickets, dinner, and a ride through the park,' Mr. Longhorn growled. "'Is that all?' "'Well, not quite. There is one more thing I'd like,' Mrs. Longhorn met his gaze." I'd like to go to the party this evening. I'm sure it's going to be quite the show. Absolutely not. It's entirely improper. It's a lovely party for a lovely young man. I hardly see how that can be improper. It's a coming-out party, so that they can marry Mortimer after some money-hungry man's daughter. You'll have no part of it. I'm only going myself for the purposes of business. His mother put the back of her hand to her forehead. Uh, I, I must surely see the doctor, darling. Oh, call the surgeon. I'm feeling quite dizzy. Uh, what's my name again? You are a nefarious old bag. Mrs. Longhorn smiled with satisfaction, knowing that she had won. What time do we leave? Three-thirty sharp. His mother set her teacup down and rose from the table. But before she could leave, Mr. Longhorn raised his voice. Aren't you going to tell me what John said to you? Oh, that, she waved her hand dismissively. It was nothing much, only that his brother had died, which I already knew, and he said Mortimer doesn't give two licks about the company and that John was running everything from New York City. Mortimer's not running the company? The wheels in Mr. Longhorn's mind started turning. "'No. And have you seen that boy?' Mrs. Longhorn's eyebrows rose. "'He about killed me, the maladroit. <laughs> Molested me on the spot.' "'Right. Mr. Longhorn was deep in thought and no longer paying attention to his mother. But then she said the very words that had captured his attention. "'Funny it is who we run into.' She turned and went to the doorway of the dining-room. Makes me wonder how the investors would feel about the rightful owner of the company not participating in any of the proceedings. Oh. Then she turned to look over her shoulder at her son. At 3.30, you said. Mr. Longhorn was stunned, realising that he'd just been thoroughly played by his mother. Right, he managed. 3.30. Learn more at www.mortimerbook.com. Copyright 2022, M.W. Cedars. Written by M.W. Cedars, the author pseudonym, audiobook performance by Michael Drew. Neither this author nor affiliates, comrades, patriots, or associates 
are engaged in rendering professional or non-professional advice, services, recommendations, or any other suggestions of any kind to the individual reader. This book is purely fiction, and all opinions and all likenesses of characters, industries, cities, or associations with any place or anyone you know are purely coincidental. Thank you for subscribing to Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Be sure to download the next episode.